Okay, so while everybody's getting settled, one of my favorite brothers has passing out some papers. Please make sure, guys, because I don't know how many of you have actually got one of our brochures, and I, I constantly update it. So this is actually the 2019 version. And then we have an ambassador letter, and it should say on it July 2019. So that's current, too. And um, we not only pass it out to you guys, our community, I pass it out in Denver. Anybody that is um, supportive of, of our God, of the Son, and of ministry in general, we pass it out. I pass it out in different states <laughs> because every, t every time we go to Black Sheep, which is our motorcycle ministry, our God is the same God. Our mission is the same mission. And it, it never fails. I don't know if you see my vest, but I have, um, it says Native Pride on it. And then I also have our flag, which you can see, let's see, on the back of your letter, on the back of your ambassador letter is our flag. Um, it is a flag for that reservation. And it has the name of the four tribes that belong to that reservation which is one of our challenges, dealing with four po tribes, four political forces. And um, since... The challenges from the outside goes. That's <laughs> how you do it. Yes. Yeah, I, but I, I'll use English. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get started. And, and please, everybody, make sure that you have the brochure and then you have the ambassador letter. Because whether you know it or not, you are my our brothers and sisters in love, and you are our ambassadors, not only for our mission, you're God's ambassadors, and we're all ambassadors, and we all serve all of our missions. You know, and, and so I just think it's so important, and it's so humbling to realize that we cannot function without each other. All right, babe. So, Deborah. Uh, Thank you all for being here in Dallas. It's so good to teach you guys. Well, hey. Thank you if you would be here teaching and us at, the, at this church if you didn't learn from somebody. How'd you learn? That's, that's a really good question, Ginger. Uh, you, and, and you make me feel really small because you're absolutely probably right. Without the Church of Christ in our life, Steve and I would not be here. Because um, I don't know if you guys know our history, but when we were kids, we were living together, and, and we went to see The Exorcist. And we were like, oh, my God, we should. I was at a movie theater. Yeah, and I was raised with the Indian God. You know, and I already I already done my vision quest and 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 he's the first white guy I met, I, met, I dated. <laughs> and uh and uh so I thought, okay, I'll learn about white man's God. And and uh see the actresses. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was just provoking Yeah. Uh, believe in God. <laughs> and so we and so we thought we were going to learn about the Bible and God, and he went to his sister, Linda, who is married to Bob Strong. And I don't know if you guys know about the Strongs, but they were a driving force. Dr. Strong and his wife, Margaret, were a driving force in the Eastside Church of Christ. So we were here in the 70s. And we met Margaret Strong and everybody, and they said, if you're really interested in God, because this is how God works. This was our God moment. They said, go back to Montana and study with somebody from the Church of Christ. And so we did. We went back, and we met Jack and Bertie Church, who were a traveling pastor evangelist. And um, we actually went back and saw him two years ago on our 40th anniversary, mm -hmm. and told him. And he had Alzheimer's, and he said, 
he gave me a big hug and he said, you know, I can't remember you kids. He said, but you're blessing me right now. And if I made a difference in your life, glory to God. And then he died about six months later. So it was pretty incredible. So we were told that we could use PowerPoint. So Deborah brought her PowerPoint display, <laughs> which is not faulty and will always work. But well, and you guys are seeing different versions of it. Because you know I work for the chief business officer, the VA. And I was the Native American program officer. And so I did presentations for the VA, too. Um, whenever we had Native American Month, and that's where some of the posters come from. And I've had my executive leadership, as well as many veterans and folks that work at the VA up in Denver, involved in, in what we do here in Colorado Springs. Yes, ma'am. I just a quick question. You mentioned something about a vision quest. Uh-huh. Yes, 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 yes. We will, we will talk about that. I'm sure we're going to have time. Go ahead, sweetie. All right. So we want to start with Scripture. Um, Deborah has some scriptures on this uh, display right here that she likes to use uh, for our ministry. But on this page. It's Matthew twenty-five forty, and the background on this is, is a parable about goats and sheep and separating, putting the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. And um, Jesus was explaining this, and he said. Uh, in verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. So these are the things that the sheep, things that were attributed to the sheep side of it and everything. Opposite of that, opposite of that was the goats basically. And in verse 40, he finishes up, well, he doesn't finish up, but he says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whoever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So that's basically one of the themes that we try to do when, when we're at the reservation, that we're trying to do these things and be seen doing these things. Because we have to show people the love of Christ through our works. And we're all sheep. You know, and it's interesting that our vest is black sheep too. But but if we truly are God's children, then we are the sheep, right? Amen. Can I get yes. amen? Okay. So let's start with a, with a prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we just ask that you guide us and direct us the way that you always have, the way that we've always asked you to and you've always come through for us. You teach us the things that matter in this world. Even though we don't understand those teachings right away, we do come around to them eventually. Uh, through trial and error, we make mistakes as we go through this life. We try to proclaim Christ as Lord and for any and all that who will listen. And Lord, we just ask that you give us the power to be able to do that adequately and to come across not as um, brilliant Christians, but just as people that love other people and in unity are bringing people together. And we just thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, I was going to give you a little background first. Um, Okay, uh, let, me, let me start, and then you can jump into that. Okay. 
So how many tribes were there at one time? You know, you, they, before Columbus, it estimates there were between 2.1 million to 7 to as high as 18 million indigenous Native Americans in North and South America. They were displaced by eminent domain. They died of disease. They were killed by Christian Europeans. That's all of us because we are all multicultural. I'm pretty sure all of us have some European in us too. And uh, through the eminent domain, slavery, rape, and war, there are about 70, um, I, I was, let's see, what would it say? I think there was something like 1.5 million left. Out of 18 million, there's 1.5 million. They say that there's that 90 to 95% were wiped out. And in our world, Lakota world, there's 70,000 left. So throughout the United States, there's a backlash to reach to recent eminent domain decisions. People dismayed their government has the power to force landowners to surrender their property so that a new landowner can utilize the land for a different, arguably better use. You, you mean if, if I bought, bought property on your reservation? If I, if I buy the, the property and I have my deed and everything, somebody can come and take it away from me? We're going to talk about that at the end, Ginger. That's a good good thought, a good question, and, and hold it until we get done to the end. Okay, sweetie? I appreciate it. Okay, so, you know, you see this a lot more happening across the United States, and people are, are starting to get up in arms. The only people that are not up in arms is Native Americans because it happened to us first. So by, it says, by 1691, the population had declined by 90 to 95% or by around 130 million people. So our goals for this class are for the listeners to get a greater understanding of our brothers and sisters in Christ in Indian country. And that's what we call it across the United States, Indian country. We are there on the reservation to share God's love for his children and is what his son did for us through our actions. And we'll, we'll explain why actions are so important, one soul at a time, because, you know, sometimes when you're out doing God's work and you think, oh, I didn't make a difference. You, we, we, have to have, we have to learn to get rid of that thought. It's one soul at a time, one pebble in the ocean, one piece of sand, right? And we do make a difference. To help our brothers and sisters in Christ find a way to learn and believe in God's love and to find a congregation that supports our Father and His Son. And we'll talk about that later. So please ask your questions, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion when we're done with the class. So there's no good way for follow-up for us when we go to the reservation. There's a Church Christ in Faith that's 40 miles west of Eagle Butte. Um, but there's basically no Churches of Christ on the reservation itself. So follow-up is always difficult in that situation. Even if you're going to Africa... Follow-up can be difficult if there's not somebody there that can continue what you started. So um, through time and effort, over a 10-year period that we've been going to the reservation, we have learned to respect them, but they have also respected us. And so We've been going 15 years. Yeah, and respect is a key word in any 
uh, ministry, especially with our motorcycle ministry, because it's all based on respect. If you don't respect a 1% group, they're not going to respect you. So, and if you don't have respect, then you, you have no way to, to speak to somebody in terms that they will listen to you. You have to have that respect, and that takes time. So we make investments of time on the reservation and in our motorcycle ministry as well with the Hurley Owners Group. That is a time commitment for people to get to know us and um, come to respect us, and then, then we can speak into their lives a little bit about religion or Jesus Christ. The only thing that the tribe is missing is Jesus, really. Well, and so many of you guys have been a part of the ministry, and so you know this. You have to establish a baseline. You have to start somewhere. You know, um, we call them stop-and-drop ministries. Throughout Indian history, there have been so many stop-and-drop ministries that, you know, when we first start, they give us the smile. Oh, yeah, what do you got for us? Because they think we're a stop and dropper. That's all we're there for. To do our good work, to do our good deed, and then move on down the road. When we first got there, there um, I counted in the phone book 15 different churches. And Stephen will tell you the landmass on Cheyenne River. Four tribes, 15 different churches. So there's churches, full gospel, lighthouse, Calvary Chapel, the Episcopal. Catholic, of course, the Catholic, United Church of Christ, and um, Mormon Church, Jehovah's Witness, Muslims, there's Muslims there, and the Mennonite. Okay, so we go back up to the ones we've messed with, or excuse me, interacted with. <laughs> we were meeting at the United Church of Christ building for a while. We didn't even realize until down the road that they had the United Church of Christ Indians meet in a separate building miles down the road because Indians will supply nobody was telling us and we couldn't understand why when we would cooking food and doing the giveaway that we just didn't have a lot of folks and people would not go to that church yeah that was not why a church they? that natives would typically go to and we didn't know that because they weren't welcome so that was a learning yeah, experience so for us learning curves. Um, when we first started out at the Cheyenne River Youth Project, and we thought that was a 501c3, and it was based for all the kids in the whole area. Later on, we found out you had to have a certain income and a certain amount of money to even go there. So it wasn't even hitting 50% uh, of the kids because they couldn't afford to go there. There was a, like 89 to 92% unemployment rate. This was another lesson that we had to learn. And then the other thing was, we, all the things that we were taking, they weren't giving away to the community. They were selling it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Well, there are some good things um, that, that we have to start with. And if you look at that flag that's on the back of your paper, um, is there a flag? Or some of them, I see some of them have it and some don't. Yeah. But that, that right there, those two pipes in the middle right there are connected, and they represent unity. Unity between the Native Americans and all other nations. And so, uh, so like Coda say, Oyete, we are all connected. And so, out of out of kindness, even if we are strangers, they give us the benefit of the doubt because they truly believe, not just in the Indian world, but outside their fishbowl, that we're all connected. So, as we're going through the, this CRYP, and I didn't realize how relevant it was at the time, they said we could not talk about God. 
and we could not have any services or prayers until everybody left at the end of the day because they had Mormons there. And, and, and so that when I talked to the director one time, I said, wait a minute. She said, well, we don't want you to offend the Mormons. <laughs> and she was offended us. And, you know, again, that was a learning experience. And so we had to go somewhere else on the reservation. Um, we ran into the Muslim girl at the church, or I mean at the store. They have a co-op. They don't have a store. They have a co-op, which is really expensive. And we try hard not to buy anything there. Shelves are half empty. If you go in there and buy something, it, you're not getting it at retail. Even though we're a ministry, they refuse to give us uh, a retail discount. But anyways, they said, well, she's nice. And that's one of the things you're going to hear a lot. That person's nice, so they're not going to offend him. The Catholic Church people are nice, so they're not going to offend him. We were supposed to, on our next trip, uh, go to Cherry Creek. Because what did you say? How many communities are there? Sixteen. So we're trying to hit all the communities. And Stephen will talk about that. We were supposed to go to Cherry Creek, which has a Mennonite church. Well, they just told us about three weeks ago that we can't go there because they don't want a different religion in their building. And so uh, that's part of one of our challenges. One of the other symbols that they use is the medicine wheel, which is basically this circle, four different colors on there. Those four different colors represent the four major races in, in the world. White, black, red, yellow. Well, there's every nation, and we're talking Lakota Nation, has a different medicine wheel, but they all use the same colors. So, so they know Plymouth before, Rock. Long before that, they knew that there were other... Well, Charbonneau came with uh, Lewis and Clark. He was a black man, uh, which they were fascinated by. And, uh, but did they have those colors before that? Oh, uh, they... Well, who even knows? Yeah. You know, the most one of the most interesting things is that, um, let's see, I wrote, currently there are 570, 573 federally recognized Indian tribes. I belong to what's called the Society of the American Indian Government Employee. It's SAGE. It's a federal organization. We meet like once a year, once every year of the year, and I have met Indians from all over the United States. You know the Indians in New York have red hair and blue eyes, and who were they influenced by? the Vikings. So, you know, before Charbonneau and Columbus, um, they, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, you don't look Indian. Well, about the 573 tribes, which ones do I not look like? Obviously, I'm not going to look like the Italians in the movies, because I'm not Italian. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know how many of you remember the, the commercial of the Indian sitting on the horse with a tear, a tear in his I eye. Look, you know, he's not over Indian. A dump. Well, that guy was Italian. Yes, <laughs> he was not Indian. But he appealed, He, I think he's from Canada, and they have one nation up there. And he appealed to them to uh, ask to, because he loved the Indian cause, and he wanted to join one of the tribes, and I think so, they, they took him in. So what we've done is we've taken the medicine wheel, which is traditional for uh, Sioux Indians and other tribes as well, and we add the cross to it in the background. And we saw that at a church there on the reservation, so we adopted that. And we like it because it does have unity, and, and that medicine wheel means a whole lot of other things besides races. It means directions, four directions. There's also up and down, so there's six directions. 
And up is always blue, down is always green. Just like on this flag, they have green at the bottom, blue at the top. In the middle, this red thing, it represents God. The great spirit, uh, the great unknown, Wonkin Tonkin. Yeah, Wonkin Tonkin. So yeah, if you guys have time, because we don't have a PowerPoint, you're welcome to walk around. We try to put information. And what Stephen's telling you is that even on our flag, all the colors mean something. And, and the blue is obviously about God. And so, uh, talk a little bit about eminent domain. There was an article that I found uh, last night. I was just randomly Googling all kinds of stuff. And I thought this was kind of important because the, the, the biggest question that we always receive is why are things on the reservation so... Uh, Hard. Why do they do it, do it our way? Why don't they do it how we do it in our state, in our community? Well, why our is city? the community so poor? Yeah. Why Why aren't they in a situation like we're in where we can go to work and we can make money at a job, uh, but there's only so many jobs there? And this might help explain part of that. So, and they say, what do they do with their money? Don't the Indians get money from the United States government? That's the other thing. I've had people come up angry. I'm a taxpayer. I pay for you Indians. What do you guys do with that money I give you? So uh, Native Americans deal with uh, many trust and respect issues. And I want to share some facts from an interesting article called uh, U.S. Should Show Native Americans Proper Respect. Um, and it was written by Sean Reagan in October of 2016. So it's relatively new, not, not like yesterday, but... Uh, the question, who has control over tribal reservations? Why should Indians be forced to leave and get jobs? Shouldn't Native Americans have the same rights to develop their land if they choose to do so as other Americans? And the answer is, well, no. It's not their land, first of all. Um, according to a field hearing held by the U.S. House Natural Resource Committee last week, this was, of course, in 2016, in Santa Fe, the hearing examined how federal control of Indian lands often prevents tribes from capitalizing on their natural resources, a policy based on an outdated notion that tribes are incapable of managing their lands themselves. So the United States government doesn't even trust Native Americans to manage their own lands. Um, although the government pays lip service to tribal sovereignty, and self-determination, Native Americans still lack the same freedoms as other Americans. For instance, tribes and individual Indians cannot, generally cannot own their land. They don't own the land that they've been given, that they live on, on the reservation. Reservations are managed in trust by the federal government in a manner that Chief Justice John Marshall um, famously described in 1831 as resembling that of a ward to his guardian. As a result, nearly every aspect of Indian land is used, uh, land use is controlled by federal agencies. So if you want to use the land that you live on, on the reservation, it's controlled by the federal government, so you have to have their permission in order to do something, especially when it comes to minerals, uh, gas and oil, uh, anything like that. Like say they want to have an elk farm. 
because I investigated this. Many of you guys have asked me, but Deb, why, why can't they do a buffalo ranch? Why can't they do an elk farm? Why can't they do a turkey farm? Why can't they do a pig farm? Why can't they raise milk? Why can't they raise eggs? Why can't they put in wheat? What are they doing with their land? So even the most basic land use decisions in Indian country still require the review and approval of Washington bureaucrats. Which takes about 40 years. Well, it takes a long time. Right on the nose, Brooke. So just, just to clarify then, what, what I think I'm hearing is that the requirements for them to want to do stuff with or on their land is even more than the average American. So yes. if I have land out in the country and I want to have you know, chickens or... It's know, actually easier to do that on private land because Which is your land? In in three or four days, you can get a land search title, uh, or a land title search done in four days on the reservation on government land. It takes six years. So four days, six years. Uh, it's it's a huge difference. Is there anything promising going on to change this? No, and we will we will talk about this later. Okay. So. The consequence is that the majority of tribal energy resources remain undeveloped. Even when tribes want to develop them for the benefit of themselves or their communities, in one case it took eight years for the BIA to review energy proposals from the Southern Ute tribe, which, by the way, is the uh, most prosperous Indian Ooh, tribe The wealthiest in nation. It's a nation. Ute is the okay. nation. Um, in, they're in Colorado. They own 10% of Colorado. Well, they don't own it, but they're on it. <laughs> they have managed to get the, the mineral rights, and that but, has made them wealthier as an Indian nation. Um, they so, actually own 10% of the world's gas. But it costs So the they have a lobbyist power in Congress. So they are actually the most powerful Indian nation in the world. If anybody was to ever tell you that a Ute Indian was poor, you should laugh in their face. They're multimillionaires. They're, they're the northern, the southern, and the mountain Ute. The northern and the southern are multimillionaires, and the mountain Ute receive money from either tribe. So they have three regions. So it took the Utes eight years to get this proposal through the BIA, and it cost them $95 million in lost revenues. Um, in another, it took 18 months for the government to review a single proposal to develop wind energy on the Rosebud Indian Reservation, which is a Lakota on, in uh, South Dakota, causing the deal with the developer and the local unity to fall through. On Indian lands, companies must go through 49 steps and at least four federal agencies to acquire a permit for energy development, compared to as few as four steps on projects on other reservations or not on reservations. Uh, tasks that should be simple, like completing title search requests, uh, result in days from the BIA. Indians have waited six years to receive title search reports that other Americans can get in a few days. Not surprisingly, these regulatory barriers raise the cost of doing business with tribes or individual Indians. Now this is only in the case that a tribe wants to develop natural resources on their land because her reservation would never do that. You have to have money. There's an 89 to 92% unemployment rate. Who has that much money? But, but they also wouldn't destroy anything regarding the land because they hold it in high respect. 
on our reservation, you're rich if you make $20,000 a year. Even if you have six to eight to ten kids. And most Indian families have taken other people's kids in. So tribes have demonstrated time and time again that they can succeed when the federal government gets out of the way. Consider what happens when tribes have gained control over forestry management on their land. In 2009, a study by PERC, which I don't know what that is, found that the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes in Montana managed their timber far better than the neighboring national forest, both for economic and environmental purposes. Um, much more should be done to give tribes the same rights that, uh, and freedoms that other Americans have. Uh, they don't have these freedoms. Tribal members, uh, as U.S. taxpaying voting citizens, should not develop their natural resources if they don't want to. But if they do, the federal government should get out of the way. It's time to stop paying lip service to tribal sovereignty and start giving tribes the same freedom and dignity as other Americans. So there's a lot of bureaucracy that stands in the way. When the Native Americans went to the reservation, each native was allotted a, a section of land, five acres. They could... They wanted them to be farmers. They, they were looking for these Native Americans to farm that land. But the Lakota people are not farmers, and they're never going to farm the land. They so, were nomads. There's no water anyway, is there? Well, there's no, no, well kind of, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, the, the problem with the water is that the communities that are out in the outlying areas in the reservation have difficulty getting water to those communities. Uh, Julie, there's plenty of water. Julie and I talked about this. My father's uh, father's family owned land around an area called Old Agency when they originally gave us the reservation. The United States government, in their infinite wisdom, kicked all the Indians off that area and turned it into the Wahi Dam. And at the time that they made the Wahi Dam, they put wells. They, they put connections out and they put wells in certain areas. And there's over 60 wells now that they created that are all broke. They immediately broke, the, the motors went, whatever, and the government never fixed them. So there's no free running water. That water is there, but nobody has access to it. So they, they bring water into Eagle Butte. And I think I showed you guys a picture. They had this big, huge container that was really dirty. And people bring in plastic containers and they, they get the water. Because whoever does have connection to the water out on the reservation, and it's a lot of white people, they do not want Indians getting water from their connection or if their well works. So you can Politics. buy land on the reservation if you want to buy reservation land. You can own it and own it outright. But even the Native Americans that live there have to pay federal taxes. They don't have to pay state taxes, but they have to pay their federal taxes. They pay Social Security taxes. Uh, a lot of them are on Social Security if they've had jobs and they've paid into that. Um, and so with the, the poor economic conditions that exist there, it's difficult for them due to all of these issues on what you can do with your land. And being a nomadic people, they want the land. The Native Americans, it's, the land is like, what do they say? How can you own the sky? How can you own the land? Um, they wanted to be able to continue with their nomadic ways, but they were 
not able to do that because of what uh, was we were trying to do was assimilate the Native Americans into a culture, take their culture away and give them our culture. And when I say our culture, I'm not talking about just white people, I'm talking about America at that time was always a result of Europeans coming together, different nations coming together, and uh, we weren't just the white nation. We were America. That means that we were diverse. But there, Steve, if I can't if I can't afford for for to go to go to school, then then, then wouldn't it be smart for 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 me and my um, family to do do farming or something and get everybody together? To, well, yeah, but they come up with a project. They put uh, native children into um, schools, and they were predominantly either Catholic or Protestant. And the Church, the United Church of Christ was the Protestant group that was on the reservation that was predominant. So they cut their hair. They, they tried to, uh, they wouldn't let them speak their native tongue. They were teaching them English things. They were trying to assimilate them to become just regular people, and that failed. And it's a good thing that it failed because we really, in the respect part of what we do, is to respect their culture. And with any mission work that anybody does, you have to learn their culture before you can be effective going to their country. You're in their country, so you need to understand their culture. So, um, Well, and if you guys have done ministry, you totally understand that. That's not new, new, new business to you. So a little bit of background information, because he kind of jumped ahead to the boarding schools. Um, there are 573 federally recognized Indian tribes. I couldn't even tell you how many there were at one time. Some, and, and there is the Museum of, Nat, of uh, Natural Indians, or was it Museum of Natural History of American Indians in Washington, and they have some of the last known uh, artifacts of tribes that, that were not wiped out. That's the only place you're ever going to see some of that stuff. Um, there are 250... Uh, tribes on the list asking to be federally recognized. In some cases, it's taken them forever. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen that poster out there about the book, The Last of the Mohicans. And you know, Mohicans were a big driving force with uh, the war of the Revolutionary War. And, and um, uh, General uh, George, or yeah, I was going to say George Armstrong, George, <laughs> General Washington. <laughs> made deals with the tribes, you know, and, they, and the Indians, in fact, I wrote down here, let's see, in 1776, the Indians who fought with General George Washington in the Revolutionary War were the, how do you say that, Passacawami? That's good now. Penasquat, the Abenaki, the Micmac, the Maliset, and the Mohicans. They helped Americans win the war from the British, and then they disappeared. Last year, I heard that the Mohicans finally got state recognized. They, they, they will not be federally recognized because their land is gone. In order to be federally recognized, and we are right now, uh, the Cheyenne River Sioux or Lakota, um, we are federally recognized. Once a certain number of your enrolled members leave the reservation, you lose your federal status. It's almost impossible to get your federal status back. Without federal status... You, you you can't even remotely get some Indian health services, schooling for your kids, um, 
social sur- or social security or some kind of services for your old people. On our reservation, there's 1,700 old people. We call them wisdom keepers. There's 1,600 kids. Only 25% of them um, graduate from school. We have seven times higher the national suicide rate, five times higher the national dropout rate, five times higher the youth pregnancy rate. So in order to be federally recognized, what they did when they started putting the natives on the reservation, they told them that they had to have a Christian first name. They could keep their last name if they wanted to. So we know a lot of people like David White Dog. It, it had to be a Christian first name and then their last name. Well, my name, Deborah. It's not, I wasn't named for Debbie Reynolds. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm the first, my dad, my dad grew up on the reservation. He left the reservation. I am his first daughter. I am first generation off the reservation. My name was picked out of the Bible. Deborah, Deborah, it's Hebrew. So almost everybody that we know on the reservation either has a French last name or a typical native last name like Red Bear or uh, Slides Off or different names like that. So, uh, But Deborah's family was more French and her family came from Leclerc and Lecomte, Ducheneau, uh, Arpan. We can, well, my, my grandma's side came from, they were chased... Um, a, a, a lot of the Lakota, you know, we are Eastern, Middle, and we're Nakota, Lakota, Dakota. So we started in Minnesota. So my grandma's family went up into Canada and became part of one nation. My grandfather's family, the Benoist, came down the Trail of Tears. We were on 15 different reservations before they put us in South Dakota. Shine River, that, that was not our, that, you know. Can you tell me one time that Sue, the word Sue. Oh. oh go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really touchy about that, and, and, and you guys who have talked to me know that, because that's not, that is not our name. We are Lakota. It means ally. It's an Indian word. It means ally or friend to all. When Lewis and Clark were coming down into discover the new wilderness, they used the um, French. the French trappers and the, I can't remember what tribe it was. Um, I, I forgot what I meant, but they used these other Indians as guides, and they called us Sioux, which is a slang or derivative word, uh, which means poisonous adder or snake, because Lewis and Clark wrote about Lakota as the terrorists of the plains, and we were proud of that. We were scary people. You know? we were but the Sioux is not our name. It's like if I called you Cracker or, or some other kind of name. It's a slang. And uh, the government put it on the treaty. And, uh, so to be federally recognized, they need to use the name Sioux. Yeah. But they prefer to be called Cheyenne River Lakota we're Lakota Nation yes. versus Cheyenne River Sioux. Yeah. But so, we just can't get it off the... Right. Okay, so... So there were originally seven different tribes in the uh, Teton branch of Sioux Indians, which are the Lakota people. Four of those tribes live on the reservation where Deborah's from and where we have been ministering. Those names of those four tribes in English are Minikanju, Two Kettle, Sandsark, and Blackfoot. And she's a Sandsark, which means... Without, without bows. Um, originally... Well, actually, my dad was a horseman. We were famous. You know, once the Spanish brought the horse to the New yeah. World, boy, we took it. 
we too with all four legs. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's just like two kettles. Yeah. Why? Where did they get kettles? We we were hunters, <laughs> but you know, uh, I, I'm sure you guys have heard of, about different kinds of Indian history. One of the things that um, we were kind of famous for is burying the enemy in the ground and running by them with a horse and knocking their head off. You know, <laughs> whoever got whoever got the closest. You know, I mean, we we were a little bit ruthless. So now it's both That's right. right. So the other three tribes in in the Lakota Nation are uh, the Oglala, which live on the Pine Ridge Reservation, the Hungpapa, which live on the Standing Rock Reservation, which is in northern South Dakota and into North Dakota, and then the Brule, uh, which is Rosebud, and there's actually a couple of different Brule And they have their own reservation, too. Okay, so hang on a minute, honey. Um, let's see. So the largest, uh, so, you know, so we're called Native American Ministry, and and. Although we focus on Cheyenne River, and uh, a lot of you guys know why we focus on Cheyenne River, because according to the United States Census, we are the number one poorest, poverty-stricken county in the United States. Dewey and Zybeck, it says, as if third world conditions. They rank us as number one. The median uh, income for a Native American female is about $20,000 a year. And if you're male, you can make up to nineteen thousand dollars. That's if you so have the females a job. actually can make more money than the males, just because I don't know they're driven to do that better for some reason. Maybe they don't. Um, maybe they don't smoke. Smoke, and maybe some of them said that they don't want to take drugs and Well, that's that that's be. that's a whole nother story, Ginger, yeah. for another day. So, um, in 1776 to 1871. The government at that point had already entered into over 500 treaties with Native Americans. And this is a matter of public record. They broke every treaty. Um, and uh, they violated and outright broke every she treaty. She said 500. Over 500. The original treaty that uh, the Lakota people were under was uh, the Fort Laramie Treaty, which was written in 1876. Uh, which also included the Black Hills as part of that territory. And the, the land mass at that point was really pretty huge. Uh, but they, they took that, the Black Hills back because Custer found gold in the Black Hills, and it became a valuable resource for the United States. So it was like, well, no, you can't have that now. Um, so that's typical of breaking the treaties it. that they did. Now, in 1980, you know, there was... The United States versus the Sioux Nation uh, went to court, and the Sioux actually won this lawsuit. And do they get their land back? No. Okay. But they won the case, and uh, which was a sum of worth about a billion dollars. And the Lakota people refused to take that money to this day. They, because Mount Rushmore and the Rushmore National Park were our holy ground. Just like Glacier is a holy ground for Blackfeet, and they got to keep it. And the Crow got to keep their holy ground. We did not get to keep our holy ground. So you can see that, you know, a lot of people say, well, that was then. Why don't they get over it? it this, this, this thing that's going on in the Lakota world is still ongoing. So we, we got to hustle because we're at 1015. I just wanted to share a couple more things with you. Why you guys understand, I want you to understand knowledge is power. And we constantly have to think about these things because these folks are dealing with it. So, you know, uh, in 1924, 
the United States Congress and the federal government said all Native Americans were granted the right for citizenship and to vote. However, I don't know if you guys realize it, each state determines when people get to vote. So um, they control the voting rights, not the federal government. So even after receiving the right to vote, South Dakota did not actually allow Native Americans to vote until 1951. However, many Indians are still denied the opportunity to vote, and I noticed that Standing Rock is not allowed to vote yet. That's the uh, um, reservation above us. Um, let's see. Are denied the opportunity to vote because the law prohibited the creation of precincts where Indians can cast their ballots. So, you, you know, there's still things that unless you actually investigate, you don't know. Something else I just wanted to share with you is that you know that there were 33 tribes that were code talkers. I actually did a presentation on this for the VA. 33 tribes. The last tribe to be recognized as a code talker is the Navajo. They were not the first. They were the last. But everybody thinks they're the only ones that were code talkers. We had 12 Native Americans from the Cheyenne River Lakota Reservation who won the Congressional Gold Medal of Honor for being a code talker. The code talkers, let's see, it says uh, they were Marines in the Army and the Navy. Uh, they were in World War II, um, in some cases in World War I, and they used their everyday tribal languages to convey messages. So the United States government, again, you know, the Department of Defense says per capita, Native Americans had contributed, contributed more bodies to the armed forces yeah. than any other diverse group. And I have to tell you, I'm the subject matter expert for Native American veterans at the VA, and right now they're treated the worst. So, you know, even Native American veterans are fighting to be recognized as veterans. Um, and, and sometimes when we go, we interact with the veterans. If somebody's given me stuff for veterans, because we do stand downs, you know, as a VA, we do stand downs for veterans up in Denver. If they give me stuff for Native American veterans, I take it to the reservation. I answer questions for Native American veterans. We, we go there and we do so much. Honey, do you want to end with a, a we're at 10.20. Are we supposed to be out here at 10.20? Yeah. Honey, go ahead and end with the prayer. Okay. With this right here. Uh, Micah 6.8 states, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, let's pray before we leave. Heavenly Father, we're just grateful that we had an opportunity to share some of the history of the Lakota Nation. And uh, uh, Father, we, we just hope that this opens minds so that they can understand the difficulties that go on on everyday life on the reservation and the difficulty in sharing your love when we're on the reservation. Um, there has been struggles, Lord, but there has also been uh, great battles that have been won uh, with certain people there. And we're just thankful for that opportunity. We ask that you guide each and every one of us as we go on our own missions, as we leave this building today, Lord. We're on your mission. The minute we walk out that door, we're in the mission field. And we just ask that you help us to share the love of Christ with any who will listen. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Amen.
And, and I know we ran a little long, guys, and maybe Baruch could give us another opportunity to do another class because we would yeah. we would we love to. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, you guys might have stuff that you want to share with us, you know, because knowledge is a two-way street. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.